You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. First things first, I need to address the way the audio quality of my intro sounds. So I am here in uh, Denver for Denver Pop Culture Con, and that's when I am recording this intro. And uh, my handy-dandy, trusty microphone did not make it into my carry-on this time around. So I'm just talking straight at my computer, and I know it doesn't sound as fancy-schmancy as it normally does does, but uh, hopefully you guys can bear with me. So today uh, on the episode, on the show, we are talking to Eric Diaz. Eric is one of my friends from the way back when in the Nerdist days, and of course we have still kept in touch and kept in contact. He's one of my favorite writers, especially when it comes to the horror world, and Eric picked A Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven's seminal classic. Um, And I was so glad that he did. You know, you're going to hear in this episode, uh, we talk about the fact that of all the guests, and it's going on 60, of all the guests that I've had, there have been very few people, even quote-unquote, quote, horror people or people who are, you know, known for their interest or contribution to the horror world, haven't necessarily picked the straight-up horror movies that you would expect, And so Eric picked A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was so glad that he did. And in this episode, we absolutely dive into the bigger horror and slasher conversation. And we talk about franchises. We talk about Wes Craven. I I hope to say that it is everything that you would want to hear from the A Nightmare on Elm Street episode of Sending the Wolf. So... Um, I think this episode speaks for itself. I love this conversation. I think even if you're not a horror fan, this is going to be something you're going to want to listen to. So without further ado, thank you so much for being here today. And here is my conversation with Eric Diaz about Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but um, but yeah, the the I, I do think the list thing is interesting because I was going over the heroes and villains list, yeah. and it does seem a little bit like it's sort of a sideways way of being like Doing popular things exactly that like people of a certain age know. Yeah, I yeah. mean it's true. At some of these and like some of the villains on the list were really strange. Yeah, and some of them weren't that villainy. Like it was right. like. Is that a villain? I can't remember which ones now, but I remember looking at it and being like, I don't know. And then there are great villains that weren't on there. Yes. So I just glanced at it before you got here. Um, and uh, like the shark from Jaws. That's not a, that's not a person. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I was it's like, a force of nature. That's yeah. That is like, that doesn't. And even it, with respect to like, you know, I was thinking about if you would consider like Dave from, or no, um, if you would consider the computer in 2001, like well, a villain. Well, it has a personality. That's what I agree. So yeah. it's, that's, yeah, Hal would be a, yeah, he's a right. villain. And but the Jaws doesn't, it's just eating. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. And then they also had Reagan McNeil on there from The Exorcist, and I was like. Should be Pazuzu. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, she's not the villain. Right. You know, she's a little girl. So it just was a, it's a weird list, but yeah. nevertheless, it allows us to talk about Freddy Krueger, which there is cool. Um. And uh, and one thing I also wanted to mention, um, because I did, you know, as we said at the top of the show, I opened it up to all the lists because it's like, okay, we don't yeah. want to, you know, have to, we can only talk about, you know, the classics so much. But that said, on the thrills list, so not- noticeably Halloween, uh, John Carpenter's original Halloween is number 68 on the thrills list. Um, but, uh, oh my God, amazing. <laughs> so Eric is unbuttoning. 
opening his shirt <laughs> to show a gorgeous. Would you say Barbie Laurie it's, Strode? Yeah, it's Barbie Laurie Strode. That's amazing. Yeah, Where that did great? you find that? I think I got it on T Villain, which is the site. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's a great shirt. It's it's amazing. I love it. Uh, I'm staring into her eyes now. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's uh, so it is interesting to me how you know. And granted, that Carpenter's film was first, and you can see I think when you're watching something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, sort of elevating the slasher genre a yeah. little bit post like Friday the Thirteenth, because Friday the Thirteenth or Jason isn't on any of them. No. But because I'm, I'm, this is not me throwing shade at Friday the 13th. I enjoy all of them for various reasons. But, like, it's not their exploitation movies. Right. Like, you can't... I don't really feel you can say that about the first Halloween or mm -hmm. the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, you can say whatever you want about the sequels, but those first movies are great films, yes. period. And Friday the 13th are fun movies. Right. I don't think that they get on... An AFI list, unless it's unless it's the villains list. Jason probably should be on the villains list. Yeah, like you know, over the, the shark. It's interesting <laughs> because you know Friday the Thirteenth has a very commercial legacy, yeah. and um, and I think I think with Halloween, like if you're gonna have that conversation about. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th, they all do very different things within yeah. like American film. Yeah. And it is interesting though how Texas Chainsaw has since become beloved by film critics. Yeah, but probably wasn't when it came out. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have Halloween that defined a subgenre and then A Nightmare on Elm Street that elevated, I would argue, a subgenre. Yeah. And then you have Friday the 13th that I would argue solidified the tropes mm -hmm. or the rules of a genre. Totally. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. Do you is A Nightmare on Elm Street your favorite of the the those four? Y yeah. I mean, I think maybe Halloween, if I want to, like, be objective, mm -hmm. is probably more well-crafted. And, you know, but, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street for me, that first movie, yeah, like, it's just, it gets me. And it was also one of the first horror movies I ever saw. Where did you see it? Um, rented. I mean, it was 10 when I came out, but, like, I specifically remember seeing... The commercials. Okay. And the commercials had, I just, I remembered being terrified of the ad because Freddy was coming out from the bed from the end of the movie and you don't see his face. And I'm like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. I want to watch this right now. Like, I'm terrified of it, but I want to see it, which was kind of one of my first inklings of like, oh, I think I like horror. Mm. Even though I loved Poltergeist already. Poltergeist was already a huge thing. But like, that was one of the really, really scary movies that I was first obsessed with. Um, because it was, you know, also the dawn of VHS, you know, the mm. rental store. It was all like the perfect storm of events of like, it, it just came out at the right time. I was the right age, you know. But I mean, looking back at it too, it's a great movie. Like, yeah. It's not just like, oh, I'm nostalgic for it. It's really good. And every time I watch it, I'm like, God, this movie is great. Yeah. Like, you know. It's one thing that I that I found when I was rewatching it is, and I feel this way about uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, and I feel this way about Scream. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, um, obviously, Wes Craven is not the credited screenwriter of Scream. Right. Kevin Williamson is, and Kevin, it's Kevin Williamson's movie. But I feel like the 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 kills are so crafted. They're, they're actual sequences that actually do something. Yeah. Um, and not to say that something like in Halloween, let's say, isn't, but I do feel like with A Nightmare on Elm Street, because you're working in this fantasy trope or this, yeah. fantasy, or this fantasy world, rather, you're allowed to be a little more creative. Oh, a lot more creative, I think. Yeah. I mean, they can, he can go crazy with the kills and how they do them. And even in that first movie, which, you know, it didn't, it's not as wild as the later sequels in terms of what the dreams right. could do but there it's still very imaginative like it's i i still think that for tina's kill and that, that's one of the greatest most terrifying things ever in any horror movies like yeah. it still rules like, you and know it's like the first thing uh -huh. or first big thing in the movie yeah that, that, I find that crazy. Yeah. But also, I guess it does kind of make sense. And I can't, so I don't know, I, I don't know about, obviously you have more of a history with this movie than I do. I say that because I didn't see this movie like start to finish until college okay. probably. Yeah. Um, my brother had a, like the box set of all mm -hmm. the movies and I would notice them like every now and then. And I knew what they were. Right, because, yeah. 
but it, it was permeated into pop culture. Exactly. Yes. But I will say that I have I conflate the Scream and a Nightmare on Elm Street in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. I feel like because I Scream was more my thing when I was right. younger, and I feel like when you watch um, something like Scream, you see so many archetypal things that yeah. Kevin Williamson's pulling. Well, what Scream did that was so great too is it made a lot of people, you know, probably like around your age or whatever who first came to horror with Scream, like, oh, this is referencing this. I should watch this. Right. You know, which I wish happened more, you know. Yeah. Because I feel like there's a lot of great horror. I think we're in a really good horror time right now. For sure. You know, but I don't know if it's making younger people like, oh, I want to see where this came from as much. Like, you know what I mean? Like, with Scream, like, you immediately, like, wanted to see where the legacy of everything. And the reference was mm-hmm. so built. It mm-hmm. made um, having, like, a knowledge cool. Yeah. Like, it made, like, get, being in on the joke, to, to me at least, mm-hmm. cool and encouraged, yeah, and encouraged you to go back. Yeah. And it is fun to see how when you're watching A Nightmare on Elm Street, the, it's, like, essentially in a lot of ways the prototype for and there there are scenes and granted it helps to have Wes Craven directing yeah. both of them because he clearly has a style. Totally. But like the scene in the beginning with um well first of all like the crazy cold open you know oh, it so is so good and then you have the the kids at school talking about what had just happened which right. is like the prototypes from both films like mm-hmm. it's it's not hard to draw those lines um and so on and so forth yeah um yeah it's. It, it's just a movie that for me, like I know I saw it like at Cinespia again a couple of years ago uh-huh. and it's, it's always fun to see things there, but you also get people who kind of like, they just, they're sort of laughing at it and yeah. I'm like, which sort of annoys me. Cause I'm like, you know what? This movie is actually really, really good. And there's a couple of like bad line uh-huh. readings here and there, but I'm like, you know, this movie to me holds up. I agree. Like it really does. And it's about so many things. Like yes. it's so about like, you know, 80s suburbia and like the lies, like the, the parents, the lying that they did to like, oh no, we want to protect you from our horrible past and like the horrible things that we've done and we're trying to, you know, they're the ultimate helicopter parents in yes. the sense that like, you know, you don't need to know about that. You know, what's Fred, you know, when she, when Nancy pulls out Freddie's hat, it's like, yeah, you don't need to know. And it's like, no, they need to know. Yes. They need to know and you're hiding it from them and everything's in this idyllic suburban atmosphere, but um, you know, the parents are sort of responsible. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something that I love so much about Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we both have, you know, you work for Nerdist currently, yeah. um, but we both have covered horror for, for Nerdist. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was writing a lot more about that, especially when Wes Craven died, um, I I really, you know, the thing that makes him kind of my guy out of Cronenberg and Hooper and Carpenter and so on oh, is, um, is that the way that he gives kids agency like he treats young people as though they're valuable and that they're smart and they're people exactly exactly and exactly what you just said of like you know the parents like nancy has literally pulled the hat of the Uh person who is killing her and said i have it it's right here Uh and her parents go no 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 no. just don't worry about it and it's that type of um as you say the ultimate helicopter parenting which i kind of love but it's but to me that is a theme that runs through his work throughout his entire career Totally. I just think it's just it's it particularly in Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street, it's one that's just like at its peak. Yes. Of, of just they're so, you know, it, they're fully realized characters, all of them, but especially Nancy. Like yes. I think Nancy doesn't get Heather Langenkamp as Nancy should be up there with Jamie Lee Curtis, at, you know, as iconic. And I think for horror fans, she is. But like just in the mainstream, like I feel like she sets up the booby traps for him. Like she's yes. like, I'm going to get this guy. Like I'm not going to let him, you know kill me I'm not gonna let him do this which was rare for horror movies and like really like you would get final girls who like at that final minute like I found the knife and I'm gonna fight back and that's great but like Nancy was like no 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 I'm gonna go out of my way to get him yes and it's so rad yeah (laughs) she was so proactive yeah she's super proactive and like I also really like and this is something that kind of ended around Scream was they look kind of like teenagers yes they don't like like watching it in HD I was watching the blu-ray again and like you can, Nancy has zits. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like and I'm like, they look like kids. They don't look now everybody's kind of like 
I, I read somewhere like in horror movies, everybody looks like they're carved out of cream cheese now. <laughs> and I'm like, everybody, they look like models. Yeah. And they look super hot. And it's not like they're not attractive. It's just like, they look like real kids. Well, and that's so appealing. The the CW, the like. The CW aesthetic. Yes, exactly. Like they, and, and again, these, that's not to, there's, there's nothing wrong with looking like you're carved out of cream cheese. No. I wish I could look that way Me myself. <laughs> but, but you're right. And you look at um, Johnny Depp even. Like, yes, he's very pretty and handsome, but yeah. he looks like a kid. Yeah. And um, and Amanda Wiss as mm-hmm. well. Like, I really... Uh, That's an 80s thing, though, too. Like, 80s and before, they didn't really cast to look like models. Yeah. They cast actors. And at some point, it was like, they're still actors. I don't want to knock anybody's talent, but, like, you had to also look like you could be in, like, GQ or Seventeen or whatever. And I liked the one you didn't have to be that hot. <laughs> but know? it is interesting because I would say, like, you know, the the cast of girls in Halloween. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis is gorgeous, but like the side characters yeah. are are kind of I mean they're they're, they're normal. Yeah. They're pretty, but they're normal looking. I guess they feel more like older teenagers to me. And so well, yeah, because they yeah, because they were like in their twenties. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but but I, I whatever the actual age is in um, a Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. I feel like they look like they, they look the part. Yeah, for sure. And I think that they really weren't much older. Like I think I think Heather Langenkamp was eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. Like so, they were barely older. They really passed, and you know, she gives a really good performance. I'm always you know I'm always impressed with her, and I'm always wished that she kind of had like a Jamie Lee career. Mm. You know, because she's so good. But yeah. I mean, everyone, all four of them are great. And again, it's like. There are only four of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a movie that's like wall to wall kills. It's just that the kills are all really good. Yes. You know. Absolutely. Like, it's just, it's just so incredible. And then, you know, when I when I was watching it again, I, it's such a weird correlation to make, but I, I it made me think of Star Wars in the way that like, mm. Star Wars is like one of those movies that's like it's like a Jenga puzzle. Mm-hmm. You take one of those elements out, and it's not, it's no longer Star Wars. You don't have Ralph McQuarrie doing the designs, or John Williams doing the music, or that cast. It's something else. Mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street is the same. Like, you don't have that Charles Bernstein, like, that iconic score, yeah, yeah. that music. It's not the same. You don't have all those elements that went into making Freddy. Right. Like, Wes Craven, it's, like, all these things that he pulled from his childhood. Like, this, if you've ever seen the stories, tell him. I'm sure you have, him telling stories of how he was inspired to create Freddy. It was, like, this creepy, like, hobo that, like, scared him as a kid and... The red and green sweater was like just all these different elements that he fused to create this thing. I'm like, you take all of these pieces out, it's probably still an okay movie, but it's not iconic. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's very interesting to me, like, because there's a lot of great films, but there's not that many iconic films. And what I mean by that is that even people who don't, haven't seen, ever seen the movie, they know what it is and they know the elements. Absolutely. Like, you know, a kid today probably may not have ever seen The Wizard of Oz, but they know who all those characters' names are. They just know it's something that it, it seeps into the, the pop culture. And Nightmare on Elm Street was like that, you know? I bet you my dad knows who Freddy Krueger is, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, even without ever having seen it. Yeah. And it's it's an incredible achievement in that way, you know? Because so few movies get to, especially horror movies, there's, there's, there's a handful that kind of seep outside of what just the horror fandom knows. Mm-hmm. And it's one of them. Do you, know? you, so when you were a kid and you were getting into horror and, mm. you know, you, you were obsessed with Poltergeist, mm. oh um, did, did you have family that was showing you movies or was introducing you into this stuff? My aunt, who was also my godmother, was really into movies, so we did, yeah. Uh, but no one was really into horror in my family that much. Okay. That was kind of just me, like, you know, liking that sort of thing, liking... My aunt liked spooky things, but she wasn't someone who was like, let's go see this horror movie. It was just that I, you know, I grew up in the dawn of cable and HBO mm. and you know, like Poltergeist was on like every day. Yeah. Like, I can't even explain like, you know, HBO back then had like a certain amount of movies that they ran and like one of them was Poltergeist and the entity or whatever. Like these yes. were always on. So, you know, I would watch them and, and that's when I just sort of became obsessed. And the, like the VHS, like the video store and going into like, I sort of miss that actually. Like, going into the video store, and there's just, like, that wall of cool art. And it's, like, these are the movies you need to see if you like this stuff. Yeah. You know? And I don't know, like, I don't know if kids have that now. Like, you have easy access to everything, but it's not... Because they can watch it whenever they want, they don't. Well, and also there's there's you know with the with the wall of VHS or the wall of covers or key yeah. art, you have like no 
um, you know, now if you're scrolling through Netflix, yeah. it's the it's long ways, so you have to keep going. So your yeah. eye can't naturally totally. find something, you know. And the art's not; it's just kind of like a still from the. It's not like right. 80s stuff. How you, you know, and 90s, like they had the awesome poster art, like that was just it would catch your eye and be like, oh my! And it was often cooler than the movie itself, right? But like it just was like, oh, what is this? You know, and that Elm Street also one of the great posters. Right. Like, oh my god! And Freddy's barely on it. You just see his claw yeah. over Nancy's face. That is a great piece of art. All, actually, all the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels all had great posters. Like Ye- they were really they did elevate it to an art level. I mean, I don't want to sound pretentious about it, but no. like, it was art. You know. Do you um do you have a favorite? So we talked about like of the original, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But do you have a favorite bigger franchise? Like, is it Nightmare on Elm Street? Nightmare would you and say? then Halloween. Okay. Well, I think Nightmare just had the best sequels. Yeah, I mean, yes. Like even the ones that aren't great have their moments. I mean, I could go on about Nightmare Two. I mean, for not the right necessarily. It's entertaining though. Oh yeah. Like it's super super entertaining, and three is one of the best horror sequels ever. Yes. I think. And four is weird and like it kind of doesn't have a script, but oh my God, totally fun to watch. Has a great like heroine, you know, and then like you kind of get, and oh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yes. So uh, what a perfect way to cap that off. Yes. Yeah, there's a couple of stink- stinkers in there I haven't mentioned, but that's a pretty good track record for a horror franchise. We all know that in horror, the sequels are often, almost none of them are, some of them aren't even watchable. Yeah. You know, so like they have a pretty good track record. Like Halloween for me, uh, the first one, obviously. And then two, I think actually two, I kind of am sad that two got retconned away now uh-huh. because I liked it a lot, okay. you know, but like it's, it, then it gets kind of all over the place. Yeah. And Friday the 13th, they're fun, you know, but I don't really see them the same. I really do feel Nightmare on Elm Street is like the creme de la creme of franchise. And it kind of knew when to quit too. Yeah. Like they knew like, all right, you know, this, we, we, we we're, we're done. So let's, let's go out in, in a, with a bang. And they did with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, I know? agree. Do you want to talk a little bit about New Nightmare? Yeah, we. I think it's super ahead of its time. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that movie. Like, I remember seeing the theater and I was like, this is really cool. This is really cool. And the whole meta thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and he kind of did a lot of the same stuff in Scream yes. to greater success. Yeah. You know, two years later. But like that first, New West Craven's New Nightmare is really great. You know, I am. Um, I think it's really underrated. People don't talk about it enough, I don't think. I agree. Like it's And it was a great way to end that. Like, if that's really kind of the end of that, you know, I'm like, you know, because I didn't like Freddy's Dead. I thought it was stupid. That's the one I really never watched. Uh-huh. But, wow, man. You know, the idea that, like, because he's dealing with what Freddy became. Yes. Like, it's like, okay, it's yes. seeped into the pop culture now. What is this thing now that it's, it's bigger than us? Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation I really would love to talk about with, like, a lot of creators, like, what, what does George Lucas think of, like, this is bigger than you now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, you might have had this idea. It has now escaped you. Like, what do you think of that in that way? And, and he's the only filmmaker I know who's really kind of like, I'm going to do a whole movie addressing that. Well, and, you know, you have, to use the Carpenter comparison, you have somebody like John Carpenter who, uh, you know, who knows if this was ever, this was always his attitude, but it has the attitude now of, you write me a check, I don't care what you do. Right. And and he that's not me assigning that sense. He has literally said said those words. He said that. He really didn't care. But I, sorry, go ahead. No, he really, he said said that. He didn't really care. He cared suddenly when they did this new one. Mm -hmm. You know, he was involved, but he was always like, I don't care, just cut me a check. Right. He did the movie he did. So, you know, I can understand that sentiment. Sure. You know, but I am, but I'm more fascinated about about how Wes Craven approached it, which is like, oh my God, this thing I made has taken on a life of its own. What do I have to say about that? Well, and that's, I think, the key because to me, another reason why I love Wes Craven so much is there is intention behind everything that he does. You know, Wes Craven, and Wes Craven was also um, a really thoughtful person. Like for people who don't know uh, his history, he taught college Mm -hmm. and was a dad before he started making movies and um you know, I think that, and he talked a lot because in the 80s, and you have the rise of slasher movies, you know, you had this big 
cultural conversation about mm-hmm. violence in yeah. and teenagers and and these bad men putting all these bad things yeah. on the screen and poisoning people's minds. And for somebody like Wes Craven, and uh, granted, I never, you know, I've told the story before, but I've never met, I never met Wes Craven before he mm. passed. But um, you could tell that that mattered to him. Yeah. Being assigned this responsibility really mattered to him. And, you know, there's a, in addition to um, New Nightmare, because in New Nightmare, they do address exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I love that Wes actually had the desire to... Um, had the desire to address this stuff or to go back and say, wait a minute, like mm-hmm. I have thoughts on this. But at one point, Marge, Marge says, um, which Marge, we will talk about her in a second. Uh, but she says when they're in the police station right after, uh, I want to say Rod has died. Um, she says, maybe you, maybe you don't think murder is serious. Yeah. And, or it was right after Tina. It was right. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, it felt to me like that line in particular because it was a, an example, A, of a mother, a parent just not listening to their kid because yeah. clearly Nancy was so upset and was talking about something else. But also I wrote down like, Parents of America, yeah. like kind of giving this voice already to to parents saying, well, per- listen, young lady, clearly yeah. you can be flippant about this, but I, a parent yeah. and responsible adult, take this very seriously when you know that Marge is actually a fucking mess. She's a total mess. And yeah. Nancy is the Hiding, more together. Like vodka in the closet. <laughs> yeah, but she's the more together of the, of the yeah. she's the parent out of both of them and you have this parent lecturing her daughter who's right. just lost her... I I mean, it just, it's a very, to me, it's a very loaded. And it, de- I mean, we were talking about that scene. It's, it was rare for horror movies at that time to deal with the grief. And yes. this one did. It's like thing, people die, but they don't, we don't ever see them because then they're running for their lives or whatever. We don't ever see them dealing with like, oh my God, my friend died yes. horribly. And I don't know why. And I don't know what I can do to, to do anything about it. And I, that made it like more captivating for me as a kid than just like other oh, dying and it's funny, you know. Like, yeah. it's like, no, it's not funny. Like it later movies, it gets funny, but not in that first one. That first one is just scary and terrifying. Yeah, I I always have had a little hang up on slasher movies in general because I and and you know we I was just on the She Kills podcast that mm-hmm. Shutter put out and it was me and Barbara Crampton um, talking about Final Girls and. Barbara is obviously of a different era. And she was like, but don't you love when the final girl like vanquishes the the killer or the bad guy? And I was like, well, actually, for me, I kind of feel like, yes, that's great. But like, why did I have to watch all of her friends die leading (laughs) up to this, you know? And so I really appreciate you pointing that out. Like, Nancy is dealing with With the grief and the loss. Yeah. Like, it's very, very difficult for her. And then having her parents on top of it, like, being like, yeah, we don't. We don't. We're not going to tell you. We're not going to talk about it, even though you know that they know early on. Yes. Like there's that scene in the after the funeral where she talks about it, and they look at each other, her parents, and it's like, oh, she knows, but we're just in denial. And how much, <laughs> if they had not been in such hard denial, how much carnage could have been avoided? Perhaps right, you know. Right. It's just like it's such a, uh, it's such a mess. It's yeah, like the the parents were just such a mess, and that was a total '80s thing because the '80s you know, was the time when we were, like, kind of realizing, like, you know, the American dream and mm-hmm. suburbia is not really, you know, everything it's cracked up to be. And yep. there's, you know, the, behind that picket fence, there's lies and there's horrible things going on. And, you know, and then the whole thing of, like, the mo- first movie kind of doesn't really deal with it, which is, like, it's kind of assumed Freddie also molested these kids. Like, right. But they don't. And then they kind of overdid it in the remake. Yes. But it's, like, one assumes that that's, you know, it's, like, he's... They all, you know, he's a child killer. And I'm like, well, okay. But the assumption also would be that he probably raped them. Yeah. It, in the description, I noticed, because you're right, like the distinction of in the remake, him actually being a pedophile. He was a pet- yeah, they specifically say it. Yes. Um, in the description on Amazon, because believe it or not, I don't own this movie. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know why. I guess because maybe growing up, my brother had it in the mm-hmm. house. And so like, I just didn't. But either way, um, so I rented it on Amazon. And in the description of this movie, they described Freddie as a pedophile. And I was like, mm. I, Yeah, but I don't, it's, I just watched it again. They don't no, ever they call say him that. a child murderer. They call him a child murderer. But yes. like, okay. I mean, I guess it was just too taboo. I mean, I don't know why one's, I mean, he killed kids. I mean, they're both horrible. I don't, 
it's just that we, but it's, and again, it's, you're dealing with things that are just too uncomfortable for people to even talk about. And I think the suggestion, like that's something I noticed about Robert England's performance this time. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Robert. Yes. This time around is like the suggestion of the sexuality, the suggesting he's kind of, even in the opening scene, he's like almost moaning. Uh Like it's not just breathing, but it's not, it's, it's like this weird mix of moan and breathing. And it just sets the scene of like, whoa, something here is very rude. And then, of course, he, like, you know, is sticking his tongue everywhere yeah, throughout the whole it's thing. Totally, sexual. Yeah, it's, it's sexual. totally it's sexual. It's totally sexualized. With, yeah, with all of them, you know? And you and that's sort of, and it's, it's in the second one, too, but, like, it's kind of dropped later that this whole thing about him having, like, this perversion, you know, well, he's because just a killer. when he's a clown later, yeah. that's a thing. You can't have, like, oh, ha-ha, I'm just your funny neighborhood pedophile. Right. Like, what? That doesn't, that right. doesn't well, exactly I mean, yeah, work. You have to remember, like, four years or so after this movie came out, he was, there were toys. Yes. There were pajamas. Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, pretty much. Yeah. Like, that was the only thing we didn't have. Yeah. But, like, it, it, he, it really was Freddie Mania, and I was in the thick of it. I loved those movies. I had the... The, the wall, like the door poster was just Robert England, like, you know, and he was like a clown and America was just like, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, he'd make, he'd go on Johnny Carson and have the, and everybody would just think it's this funny thing and it's like, we're, you know, he kills kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, hey guys, man. Yeah. Which, which I, I mean, I'm fine. I mean, it's, it's fiction, so I don't, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I, a lot of people that I would think would have had a problem with it didn't seem to. Right. You know, they just kind of, I, I think it would be different now. Yeah. I don't think you could even do that movie. I mean, you could do it now because it's a brand name, mm-hmm. but I don't think that movie could happen the same way now. Do you? Do you? Yeah. I don't know. Like, with dealing with that kind of stuff, I think a studio wouldn't pull the pull, 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 uh, wouldn't pull the trigger on it. Yeah. That's a good question because there's a lot of stuff like, you know, there's some stuff... That's a good question. I really don't know. I really don't know if I feel like it could be done now in this way because this is a movie that it really does a lot. It is funny in some parts yeah, and fun. Is, even the first one is funny in, yes. in a few parts. Yeah. And it's um it's got a sense of adventure and, and cleverness, mm-hmm. you know, because not only are you going into these different worlds, but you do have Nancy like literally setting traps so and, and scheming and plotting, which is yeah. cool. But then you have the true horror of the Tina scene or even yeah. Johnny Depp's uh, death yeah. is really upsetting. And the scene in the school in Lin Shay's classroom, like the body bag being... Oh. Just, Oh my god. This stuff is like seriously very disturbing. Yes. Tina in the body bag. I think scared me more than Freddie yeah. as a kid. Like that, oh my god. Like even when I was rewatching it, I was like this is really this is super disturbing. Yeah. You know, and again, it's dealing with it doesn't gloss over the death. Like it's not right. something you just move on from like you do in a lot of these movies where it's like okay, next victim did it's like no, it's like she's dealing with the death of her friend and is haunted by the death of her friend. Yeah. Even if it's Freddie kind of, you know, messing with her or whatever. But even that first movie, you're right. It's funny because there's the no no running in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, even from the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's not like Freddie suddenly became funny. Right. It's there. It's just not overdone. Right. Like, it's just that first movie strikes the perfect balance, you know? Well, and he's taunting her. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that there's a difference between telling jokes and being a powerful figure or a scary, menacing figure and fucking with your victim. And I think that that's what I've... Like, I wrote down a bunch of examples where, you know, like, some of it feels goofy now. Like, you know, the... Oh, like, cutting his fingers off and he's like, look what I can do. Um, But at the same time, he is like, uh, you know, a cat playing with a mouse. Yes. He just knows that he's about to kill this I victim. I always felt like he was sort of like feeding on their fear yeah. before he killed them. Like yeah. it was, uh, that's what he was doing. Like he could have killed them right away, but it was like, no, I'm enjoying this this game that I'm playing with them and then I'll kill them. And the power, that is something that we know as, mm-hmm. you know, with this franchise or whatever, however loosely defined it is, you know, Freddie, even in the first one, like Nancy essentially takes away the power by forgetting him. And so you're right. I think that like, even in this first movie, he does, uh, you could infer that he is growing more powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the third one, they kind of address it. Mm -hmm. When she's like, he was never this strong before. He's like, yes, the souls of the children give me strength. It's like, okay, that explains why you couldn't do all of this crazy stuff. 
until this third movie. Right. Because he really kind of doesn't. You're like, oh, now we're like puppet people and, you know. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I mean, that is one of the great sequels. That could be a whole episode on its own. Right. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, like that was them firing on all cylinders too. Like it's just the perfect balance between like kind of funny, him telling jokes, but the dream stuff got really crazy and the kids fighting back and like bringing Nancy back. To mm-hmm. me, I'm like, I, I, I did a piece for Nerdist like when it was like it's the 30th anniversary, mm. so a couple years ago now. And it really kind of is the Empire Strikes Back of, yeah. like, horror sequels. It was, like, because they just did everything right. You know, expand on the characters from the mm-hmm. first movie, make them deeper, introduce a bunch of new ones that you love just as much, and, you know, make the villain, you know, even more, pop more. Like, I don't I don't know how they did that. Yeah. Especially because the second one is what the second one is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I We don't have to go take a deep dive into no, it. But, but the, the second movie is sort of for the audience who maybe doesn't know or aren't horror fans – it's um it's one of the most uh infamous it's the gayest horror movie ever made. I mean, I'll yes. say it right now. Yeah. As a gay man, I will tell you, it is the <laughs> gayest horror movie ever made. Un- either unintentionally or t- I mean there have been other gay more indie gay horror mm-hmm. movies, yes, of course, but like from a studio in the 80s. Yeah, that movie and it's the only male scream queen, mm-hmm. I think I definitely in that era yeah. if ever, you know, and there's all this weird subtext and stuff. And it breaks a lot of the Wes Craven rules. I mean, not that badly. People always say, oh, it completely goes off the continuity. I'm like, no, not really. Yeah. But it doesn't have the score. It has a lot of missing elements from the Wes Craven movie. But it's really fun to watch as a cultural artifact. I watched. Yeah. Please, go ahead. Yeah. And Freddy is still scary in that one. Yes. He is not. He's still shadowed. He's still kind of coming at you from like they don't really like focus on him clearly. He's not making as many jokes. He's still, you know, it's evolving, but he's not like in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he's cracking wise. Mm-hmm. But in two, he's still kind of really terrifying. So even though it's not a great movie, it's it, it is a very interesting cultural artifact, and it's kind of like the in-between phase of Freddy. Yeah. So I can totally watch that one. I um saw that one for the first time at the New Beverly. Oh my god. Uh, with a packed house. Did you, was it there like all night nightmare? I it was. To go to that. It was. It was all night nightmare on Elm Street. I think I made it to like Three or four. I am an early it's bird. It's okay after that. Freddie would totally murder me. I would be his first victim <laughs> because I cannot stay awake to really? save my life. Yes. Oh my um, but uh, but I will say that seeing I had always heard about that movie and how crazy mm. it is. Um, but seeing it in a crowded theater uh, was especially on the heels of the first one. Right. Um, it was really fun. Yeah, it it's was fun really to watch. fun. Yes. it was made very quickly after the first yeah. one. The first one was unexpectedly successful. No one knew what they had. You know, I don't think. I think Bob Shea at New Line Cinema. If you've ever seen any documentaries about Nightmare on Elm Street, he's the one who was like, "I know this is a gold mine." Yeah. He was like, "We're gonna sink every penny our company has into this movie because I know what we've got here." And he was right. The house that Freddie built. The house that New Line Cinema was the house that Freddie built. And they immediately started expanding on that house, like yes. maybe a little too soon because they didn't have time to really, you know, work on the, what do we really want to do here? So they, they pumped out the sequel. It's nowhere near as good as the first one. But like I said, it's fun to watch. Yeah. You know, I really one, two and three. I'll, I'll, I'll watch that trilogy all the time. Yeah. You know? And four. I like four. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I um, yeah, they're they're a lot of fun, and uh, they're the for the audience listening. If you guys maybe don't want to sit through all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I personally would highly recommend Never Sleep Again. Oh my god, that documentary is, is so good. Now it's a long audience, but it is so good. They interview just about everybody yes. involved in all of the movies. Yes, it's like a four hour long documentary. It, it really it's is really long. I have I have the Blu Ray of that. But it's excellent, you know, and it, I, I always kind of lament because the the fact that the Nightmare on Elm Street Blu-ray box, it, it, aside from the first movie, there's almost no special features mm. on the other movies. But I'm like, I don't even care because Never Sleep Again tells you everything yes. you'd ever want to yes. know. Like it they, and goes to Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. Like it really goes. It doesn't cover the remake. I don't think, but yeah. who cares? Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's like the the Robert England Freddy. You it's know, the Robert England Freddy, and yeah. I mean Robert England. It's he he doesn't get enough credit. I mean he's so perfect. Again, yes. like when I was talking about like it's a Jenga puzzle. Like iconic movies are like a Jenga thing. You take that out, it's not the same. It's not the same without him. Like he brought that menace and the humor. And he's just so, so good and was always having fun with it the entire time. He loved his job. You could tell he loved doing that part, you know, and it shows. It's like, it, 
especially in an era when most of the killers were silent. Yes. He was like, no, yes. I'm, I'm an actor. <laughs> you know, I, am, I, yes, I was ma'am. classically I, trained <laughs> yes. and I'm going to bring it. And he did. Yes. Every time, even when the movie sucked, he brought it. Yeah, I agree. Robert mm-hmm. England is, and he's such a good, he's a great sport about everything. Yeah. I mean, he he's a working professional. He's embraced these this role and all of the um, opportunity within a genre yeah. that it's afforded him. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, he's exa- he's a class act, and he's exactly how I think I would want to be if I ever achieved that kind of fame. Because you see some people, like, I'm not just blank. Yes. And it's like, you're not. But it's like, how many people would love to be an iconic anything? Yes. You know, a lot of people struggle forever, and they, especially actors, and they never get to make it. And it's like, dude, if you make it doing anything, and, and, and you're famous for that, like... You, you take that and, and you go with it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, he, has. He, he said many times, and, and I think that this is really interesting, because he is a student of film, you know, Hollywood has been remaking movies since yeah. the beginning of Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, he so he kind of says, like, hey, it's it's okay. Like, you know, you guys, go ahead. Like, I, I've done my time, and yeah. that's fine, and I'm not precious about it, so. Yeah, he's, I, I keep, I'm surprised they haven't done, with the success of Halloween, the, the, last year's yeah. Halloween. How have they not asked Robert Englund to do like a one more time? Like it seems he'd do it. I he just, did it for the Goldbergs. You know, I don't right. know. If he, he did that for yes. that sitcom. He, they, they, he's like, I'll do Freddie makeup one more time. I'm like, if that's the last time you're going to play Freddie, no. Yeah. I will say though, I wonder, oh, because Freddie versus Jason was after New Nightmare. Yeah. Like 10 years. Yeah. I wonder if Wes being gone has anything to do with it. I don't want to, I don't want to overly assign any sort of like significance, but like to actually have, and granted, let's be clear. Wes Craven was not involved in the bigger franchise, you know, the franchise. He only had something to do with three of them. Exactly. It just was the three best ones. Yeah. So like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to over, you know, I don't want to like put words in anybody's mouth or whatever, but I do wonder if it's, if it's kind of like, if that would be weird considering that he, that he did, he he might maybe Robert feels or maybe that I just don't know because it's like I he I, did plenty without him yeah you know so it's not that I, I I don't know I think something if you got someone who really loved those movies and loved Wes Craven and wanted yeah. to make a tribute with him and have Robert Englund be in it I think it would work I'm just surprised that this it feels like New Line would jump on that like they must have seen the box office receipts for Halloween and been like um we have Freddy yeah <laughs> like, I'm like and Robert Englund's alive and. With the makeup, you know, right? Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. It can be any age. So, I'm surprised they haven't even announced it yet. How would you even? Well, how do you, you approach would, it? You would reboot Dream Warriors. That I. That's what I think. Yeah. Right. I don't really know how you like. Do you like ignore? or bounce off of? You know? Yeah. I mean, like some of those sequels you'd have to kind of ignore. I think, but some of them you could incorporate. I don't really know how you do it. You know, I, it would be interesting. I'd probably probably want Heather Langenkamp involved, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, well, they kind of killed her off. They brought her back in New Nightmare because she's playing herself. Right, right. But like, okay, what do you do with her character now? Like, does she, you know, I don't know how you do it, but I'm surprised those conversations haven't happened because it just seems like, you know, the natural thing to do. And better than another remake. I don't think anybody wants... Wants like an origin, like a part one all over again. No, I mean, we got the remake yeah. and no one, like no one involved clearly cared. Right. I mean, I've, I've listened to podcast interviews with, um, oh God, who was... The Thomas right. Decker. Yeah. Who was in it and he kind of implied, it's like, yeah, nobody there really cared. And yeah. Like, yeah. you can tell. Like, you can tell when, no, when it's like, we have this IP, we want to, you know, capitalize on it, we'll just do the straight up remake. And the thing I didn't like about the remake was one of the things I loved about the originals. Like, the parents are barely there. Mm-hmm. It's not about the parents keeping secrets. It's not about the parents' relationships with the kids. It's just they're, they're, they have great actors, but it's like, why aren't they doing anything? It's yeah. just become, it's about the kids. And again, that, that remake is filled with really good actors, too. Right. Oh, uh, Jackie Earl Haley, I thought, was He's excellent fine. casting yeah. in the in Fury and, you know. Yeah, and it's it's weird because it's, again, rewatching the original, it's like, there's something raw about that, that feels like, there's the grit of like, Mm -hmm. of a low budget movie. And then you see this new one and it's just so, it's lit like a music video, like Mm -hmm. a very expensive music video. And I'm like, I don't, I feel, I don't feel like I'm watching real kids. I don't feel like I'm watching life or death situations. Like this is all really good lighting and like, you know, beautiful. And I'm like, "Eh." it's just, that's one that really doesn't work. I haven't hated all the 21st century remakes of 
But that's one where I really felt like this is everything that's wrong with these. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I'm shocked they haven't done. I, I you know maybe by the time this comes out they'll have. Really, I mean you know because I just feel like any minute now they're going to announce Robert Englund. It has to you know one more time. Yeah. You know, especially after Halloween because I I liked the the Halloween the 2018. I wonder if um you know it's something where New Line is like trying to work with Atomic Monster because Atomic Monster is James Wan's company that set up that new line and they deal with so much supernatural Atomic Monster does so I and you know James's company Atomic Monster has been uh, announced to be doing a lot of like Stephen King adaptations right yeah he's the it boy yeah and so I wonder if it's about Maybe there, maybe James doesn't have a desire. Maybe he doesn't, and I mean they don't need to do it, right? You know, like they they have the Conjuring universe, which is sure. very profitable. You know, they don't need Freddy, but it would be cool. You know, like part part of me is like it would be cool, and who knows? I mean, I hope it happens, but if they don't have a good idea, then I don't want them to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if they don't have a really good idea, then don't do it. But. Yeah, Robert Englund's still with us. And I wonder, too, if it's just that Freddy versus Jason didn't do what they wanted. Now, oh, it was really successful. I, well, financially. was it? Financially, yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, it did. And they were talking a lot about, like, oh, now we're going to do this. And they, and I don't know what happened. Yeah. I think it was they couldn't get the rights to. They wanted to do, like, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah. And Freddy versus Jason versus Michael Myers. And right. And, like, Warner Brothers doesn't own. And it became right. a whole thing of, like, they didn't, you know. They didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know, I don't even know how they make those Halloween Horror Nights things yeah. like, work out. Because it's like, oh, everybody's here. And I'm like, oh, well, probably it was expensive. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> they definitely lease it out for sure. Mm-hmm. Or they must. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I actually don't know where I stand on if I would want to see more more Robert England as yeah, I'm I, I, it, I'm kind of 50-50 too. Yeah. I don't know if I want to, but I, I, I just feel it's weird that they haven't tried. And it could it's be such the, a business decision. And it could be the type of thing that you see and then you're like, oh my God, I didn't know I wanted this until Yeah. Now. I mean, I like I said, like I loved if they did something as good as last year's Halloween, I'd be down. That yeah. was about the legacy of it. Like that, you know, because I think legacy sequels tend to do really well. Mm-hmm. Legacy sequels, people have realized, like, wow, people who grew up with those older movies still go to the movies. We're not dead yet, you know? <laughs> now, here's a question. Do you think that Halloween 2018 worked so well because Jamie was so associated with that franchise? Uh, absolutely. And she's our th- hero. She's our yes. through line. Whereas with somebody like Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. Freddy's our villain. Freddy's our so villain. So he's our through line. Now, that's a little different. It's a little different. Yeah. yeah he is the... He's, the one there, there isn't really. I mean, for us, Heather Langenkamp, right. but I don't think for the mainstream they wouldn't care, right? You know, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is that they just don't have a through. You know, there's they don't have a through line to it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I I was very shocked. I, I really did think just the way Hollywood works. I'm like the minute that Halloween made the box office edition, I'm like, okay, well they're gonna announce Friday any minute now, right? Yeah. And then they didn't. I'm like, he's on the Goldbergs. I'm like, well, that's it. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's his swan song to Freddie. <laughs> Like, I would, here's what I would say. I would posit a guess that we were talking earlier just a minute ago about like the Halloween Horror Nights of it all. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you have Universal uh, and Miramax or whatever form of Miramax yeah. um, working together to let Blumhouse have the reins. Well, let Blumhouse do whatever they want. So that's, <laughs> and that's what I'm getting at is we've all heard rumors that Friday the 13th, like Jason Blum has said, like, I'd love yeah. to get that one off the ground. Just, please. And so I feel like it's the type of thing where WB and New Line are just like, well, no, we're not going to give them the rights. So we've got to find a way to do we it. We have to find a way to do it. Yeah. But it's like, considering the last time was the remake and it didn't, it made money, but. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. So before we move on to the part where you get to add a movie to the list, uh, do you have anything else about this movie or the bigger franchise that you want to talk about? I mean, I just think it's just the creme de la creme yeah. of the horror franchise. I it, it, I have such fond memories. You know, I made a really good friend, you know, through like I, that one of my best friends ever, Liz Cousins. She, um, in, in uh, eighth grade, I remember like we became friends because she had the third movie had just come out. Okay. And um, she had like the making of like one, two, three. And I was like, oh my God, there's a girl that likes Freddy. Like I was like, really? Nice. You know, and we still like talk about this shit. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. Like it, I had, it is the first 
R-rated movie I think I saw ever in a theater was yeah. four. I snuck in to see three nice. and Lost Boys that same summer. It was like that same oh, period. Wow. So I have this like, it's, it's baby's first horror movie in a way, even though Poltergeist probably really is. It was yeah. the first one I really watched because, and Poltergeist, I mean. It's scary. So it's it's so I can't but Louis Bertel almost picked Poltergeist on this show, um, really because he had oh never seen God. it and what? Uh, yeah and I was like oh pl- I really wanted him to pick it but ultimately he picked Rear Window and I was like okay that's really fun too yeah but um yeah nobody has picked Poltergeist and nobody has picked no, Halloween but is Poltergeist not on Poltergeist is on thrills okay or lines quotes quotes but you no no one's ever done Poltergeist on the show no. No. Oh my god, I want to talk about Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> you could come back. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, I'm yeah. shocked. I didn't. Yeah. I, I would have thought. I would have thought someone would have done it. No. It's so good. Yeah. Nobody has done that one, and no one's done Halloween. Like it. This is really. You're like. I've done a handful of horror movies, but Where's it's my like horror movie nerds. The, at? I know. I think because I give people the opportunity to go off brand. Yeah. Sometimes they do. Like yeah. sometimes they pick something that they. So even my even the horror people that I've had on. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, Chelsea Stardust picked um, Field of Dreams, and Chelsea Rebecca picked Spinal Tap, and Mark Riley picked Sideways, and Michael Kennedy picked Terminator Two, and like all my horror people didn't pick. They did. No. They were not. And I mean, I don't know that I'm. I I love horror, but yeah. I'm a, probably a bigger comic book guy yeah at the end i mean i don't know i have a lot of things i like you know i have a lot <laughs> sure. of fandoms but like sure. i don't think a lot of people would necessarily be like oh you're a horror guy like i was never the kid who had fangoria posters right like that wasn't really like you know look at this gore on my wall i was never even now like as much as like i have a huge horror section of blu-rays but like i don't have a lot of horror because i don't want to look at that every day no same like i just want i have my funko pops that's like that they they represent my horror people enough <laughs> and they're them. cute i love that they're yes. cute yes. and i don't have to like i don't always want to look at that you know, so I, I don't know, but like, I don't know if it, it's still on brand for me. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a Halloween guy. I love Halloween season. Like yes. ha- scoop spooky. Yes. Yeah. That's totally my job. I'm super glad that you picked this one too, because it's, it's, uh, if, if ever there was anyone to, well, to dive in. Well, I remember your Wes Craven tribute yeah. that you did for us. Like I remember like you were such a big fan and I'm like, oh, I should pick something Wes Craven. I'm glad that you did. Yeah. I think he deserved to be on this. I think Wes deserves to be on this list more. Wes was just great. Yeah. Like, and he just, I mean, I've never met him or anything like that. But like just everything I've ever seen him was like you don't hear a bad word. No. Like you never hear like, oh my god, he was a monster. He oh. was like this or that. You just don't. And that's you hear rumors about everybody. Yes. And that's just one of those people you don't. Yeah. He was just people, you know, him and like Steven Spielberg, you don't hear horror stories about their behavior. Yeah. But um, but yeah. Yeah, people R.I.P. Wes. Uh, yeah. he was the best. Um, so okay. Now, do you have something that you would add? Well, shoot, and no one's done poltergeist. I want to talk about poltergeist. Well, I mean, uh, for for okay, oh, so I oh, let okay, oh, okay, okay. Yes, so I let everybody. Um, the reason I let everybody add something that isn't okay. on the list, the, like we were talking about at the top, like, and you can pick villains. You can just add a anything villain. that's just not on the mm-hmm. AFI list. Yeah. Yeah, or you can pick oh the big God, list I'm and do just something like that's really like off, that's super on brand and so like obvious for me. Like I love Interview with the Vampire because I'm a oh. big Anne Rice fan, and lately I've it's been come up on a bunch of podcasts. Yes, and people kind of like trash it, and I don't think people have a perspective of like what it meant or what it's trying to say and it always annoys me so I'm like any opportunity I can to be like you know that was a really important movie mm-hmm. like it, I, I will say it so yeah that's my pick like I lo- I'm a huge huge Anne Rice fan like yeah. that's kind of like my defining like you hear a lot of people like Lord of the Rings yeah. was my film. No, the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles was my jam and really pulled me they helped me in coming out mm-hmm. like in a big way. Like it was a big deal for me to have these characters and have these like pansexual characters and be proud and like, you know, and it was like as a teenager, that was a huge deal. There was not a lot of gay stuff in mm-hmm. pop culture. So when the movie comes out, like I had been fan casting that movie for years uh-huh. already. Like my aunt and I, like she was, she's the one who introduced me to it. So, um, when it finally came out, I, like, I went to the premiere in Westwood. Oh, I, wow. I, oh, yeah. I saw, like, it was a big moment for me. Wow. And I do think it's a pretty good movie. I think Kirsten Dunst is amazing. I actually think Tom Cruise is amazing. I agree. I think the only person who's kind of like, eh, now you're like, maybe you were miscast as Brad Pitt. Yeah. But even then, he's like, he's fine. Yeah. yeah like, it's not, he has some moments where he's 
it's lucky he's so gorgeous because the camera just is like that scene where Claudia is like ashes yeah. and it just is his face and it's just like okay that's a good face yes. it's given face yes. he knew how to do that <laughs> yeah. you know but like I think it's very underrated and I don't think it gets kind of like the credit that you know that it deserves especially when we're talking about like kind of like LGBT cinema even yeah. though it had to be coded because they're vampires like this is a movie about like two dads Mm-hmm. Raising a little girl, you know, they are a couple, you know, yeah. in a mainstream Hollywood movie, you know, and now like when people talk about it, like I've, like I said, I've listened to a few podcasts, podcasts that I like, but they're younger and they're kind of looking at it from a 2019 perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. Yeah. Like to have anything like that then was a hu- in a Hollywood blockbuster yeah. was a huge deal to have two men say, I love you mm. or I want you. And you know, I, I want this family. Like it, it was a great thing. And Armand, Oh my God. Antonio Banderas yeah. is just like, yeah. he is talk about, I mean, pansexual. He is just sex. Yeah. Just, Especially then. Yes. Like peak, that's peak Antonio. And in that role. When he comes out of the theater scene, when they're doing all this thing, and then it's just like, boom, he comes out and everybody stops. Yes. Come on, that's good, that's good filmmaking. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't get the credit and people are like, well, it's campy and stuff and I'm like, I don't really think of, it's kind of they say about Nightmare on Elm Street too, I'm like, it's heightened but I don't see it as camp. You know, like, I don't. Like, I mean, there's the funny parts are deliberately funny. Sure, yes. So that's different than camp. Like if Claudia is going around and like those people laughed then because it was funny. Yeah. It was meant to be funny. Yeah, I would agree. I wouldn't, she's so good. I wouldn't classify Interview with the Vampire as camp. No. No way. Um, I went, I used to, I have gone back and forth on Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. But I will say that I watched it this past Halloween because um, this past October I got really sick. And so I just like watched a ton of movies and it was on Netflix at the time. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking, no, I think this is a good movie. Yeah. Like I think, and and because I had been a little hard on it before. Like if I, I am sure that when I did the blood cast with Ryan Turek, um, we did we talked about Interview with the Vampire because we saw it at Cinespia and they did the um. Was it the all nighter? Yes, I was there. It was the vampires totally all nighter. Yes, and I remember being like, okay, this movie. But I think I was just being it's, dumb. It's just because it's, it's not fun. Like that all nighter was like it was. I remember it was Lost Boys, Buffy. It interview is like a series. It's like a film, and it's, it's long. It's long, and it's yeah. like it's not like it's woo. Lost Boys is campy, and yes. Buffy, Buffy is campy. Is a, yeah, and this is like a serious film about like dealing with a lot of things. Yes, and it is very faithful to the book. I mean, they do change a couple of things to make it you know tighten, but like the themes of the book that resonated with me as a kid are all there. Yeah, you know about. You know, Louis is his whole thing of like, I don't want to be this way. And Lestat kind of coming to him and being like, dude, like, this is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, being different is cool. Yeah. That was very helpful to me as a teenager, you know? Like, you're not a freak. You're not an outsider. Or if you are an outsider, this is a cool thing to be. Yeah. And you're not cursed. Right. And like, it meant a lot to me having those words. And I think the movie, I've heard it from other people who were, you know, I was already like 19 or something when mm-hmm. it came out, but like, who were younger than me who saw the movie, who that was their intro. They mm. feel the same way. But now I hear a lot of gay people when they talk about it, you know, they're just like, it's not queer enough. And it's like, you have to, perspective. Yes. When was this made? 1994. Yeah, they didn't actually make out. Right, right. I, that would have been cool. Right. But there were limits, you know, Warner Brothers wasn't going to let that in 1993. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so I think it's kind of important, at least in vampire and horror. You yeah. know, like it really, and Kirsten Dunst, my God. She really is excellent in that movie. Like, she really is. It's one of her best, I mean, now she's a grown up and she's a good actress, but that's in the top two or three of her movies, period. Yeah. Like that scene where she kills him or she thinks she kills him is like, oh, it's like she can be brutal. And that's a real role too. That's like, because I think um, there are lots of children who are great in movies, but they are required to be children. And yeah. and that is a real role played by a child. Yeah, but, a child you know, who has to act like an adult. Yes. Because you're an adult now in your mind, and that's very, and I'm very curious who they're going to cast for the show because they're doing yeah. the TV show. And I'm like, okay, that's someone who's going to, you know, 
you, you have to, oh, I wonder how they're going to film that because if it's going to go for season, like they can't really go that long. A kid's going to grow up. Right. So I'm very, very curious how they deal with that because that character comes back in later books in Lestat's mind. Sure, sure. And, and it's like, I'm like, are they going to film that in advance? Like, how are they going to yeah. do that? Because the kid's going to grow up. So she's great. I think Tom Cruise is fan. And I hated the idea before. Like I had a t-shirt. I don't know where it is now. Someone had bought me a t-shirt because people were fan. I mean, you think that all this like outrage over casting is like with comic book characters and stuff? No, that was going on then too. Yeah. People, we did not want Tom Cruise yeah. as Lestat. And someone gave me a t-shirt that said, I knew Lestat. Lestat was a friend of mine. And Tom Cruise, sir, is no Lestat. And I dropped it when I saw the movie. I was like, oh my God, he really, that's him. He's doing, he's, he's selling it. Sounds like Anne, Anne Rice, similarly. She, oh my God, she, that was a whole, that's why the, the making of the special features for that movie are not as fun because they don't get into the nitty gritty. Uh, she was not down and publicly said so, which is a no-no in Hollywood. Yeah. You don't talk about your, you sell the rights, you have, you make a contract. And she was like, I don't care. Like I sold it and I don't like that choice. But she also, when it came out, she was like, he was great. Yep. Sorry. Like yep. she was, and publicly took the whole like two page ad in variety yep. saying he was amazing. I am sorry. Da, da, da. And which I always thought was very gracious of her. Like she, you know, she didn't have to do that, but she did. And yeah, I was one of those people that was completely sold. He is so fun in that movie. He's great. Like when and, Tom Cruise acts, yes, he's incredible. Like he's a very good actor. Yeah, he's got depth. I Absolutely. just wish that he accessed it a little. And more. at that time, when he the reason we felt that way is because before then it was like he was Top Gun totally. and Days of Thunder, and you know he had done Born in the Fourth of July, but that was like his first. See, I'm an actor. Yes, you know, and so we were like, can he? Is he a character actor or is he a movie star? And the fact that he wanted to play a vampire. Yeah, he wanted that And he wanted bad. to do this, like, period piece. Yeah. And this pop, like, uh, yeah. yeah. And, like, and he committed because I was like, he's not blonde. And it's like, no, I'm going to do the blonde hair. I'm going to have the blue eyes. I'm yep. going to go for it. Yep. I'm going to wear lifts. You know, <laughs> like, he did that too. Yes. You know, like, he really does. And it captures all that. It's a gorgeous looking movie. Yeah. You know, again, it, the problem is you have Brad Pitt as a narrator. And I get where that loses people because he's not, especially then, his speaking voice is not, I, it's the Keanu Reeves thing. Yes. It's like, you sound like you're a bro. Yes. Like, and I, it's hard for me to buy that you're this in 19th century. Kevin you know, not, Costner is Robin Hood. Kevin Costner is Robin Hood. There's a it's not as bad as that. Yeah. But it's a little bit like yeah. that, you know, but it's, it's, it's very similar to the book. It's like, yeah, he's the narrator, but like all the cool shits around him, Armand, yes. all this stuff around him. And he's just kind of. This is all this cool stuff. And the movie kind of realizes, as the book does, that at the end of the story, it's like, you've just made this very appealing. If you were trying to convince us that this is something we don't want, you failed. Mm. Like, you just made all these people in your life, in mm -hmm. your two centuries of life, yeah, it's something we'll never know, and him not getting it. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's, it's, to me, it's a movie and a story that has so, so many layers that I kind of feel it gets lost in the, like oh, it's cheesy or whatever, it's over the top or like, and I'm like, no, but this has something to say. Yeah. You know? And like, I just, if people are bagging on it too much now, like in, in retrospect, especially like I said, a lot of younger, you know, LGBT fans mm -hmm. of horror don't kind of, they, they don't have the perspective of like, this is where we were culturally. Right. AIDS was still very much in play. Yep. People were very, you get, nothing gay was okay in, in Hollywood. You couldn't address it. And so they found their way of, we're going to talk about it without talking about it, yeah. you know? And so I love it for that reason. So, all right, before I let you go, you said you had fan cast that movie in your head. Who was oh, your cast? My can cast, you remember? I mean, I think I was so young. I, I, Everybody sort of thought, oh, my God, David Bowie is Lestat. I uh, think, you know, sure, especially after course. Labyrinth, yeah. he's got the hair and yeah. the, the outfit. We all wanted David Bowie. And he was, at that time, still young enough to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I think, and Louis, Dan, everybody wanted Daniel Day Lewis. That's who everybody was like, you know, he was the up and coming. Contemplative. Yes, and he was who we wanted. And Claudia, nobody knew. Like, that, yeah. everyone knew that had to be an unknown. But, like, and Armand ended up being great, even though he's not Book Armand, because Book Armand is like 17. Oh. Um, yeah, Book Armand is very, not Claudia's age, but he's, and I, and I know why they made that choice, because it's like, you're already in kind of pedo yeah. with with Claudia then it's like does Louis only like right underage people right you know yeah. but I'm sure for the show he'll be someone who looks he'll they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll keep to the Armand was 17 or so when he was made sure you know he was like the boy ancient that was uh -huh. sort of their thing with that um so yeah it was David Bowie and Daniel Day-Lewis that was totally who we all wanted and probably, you know, knew we were never going to get. Yeah. If David Bowie wasn't enough of a movie star, but like every goth kid, that's who we were like, oh my God, it has to be David Bowie. 
Like that's, you know, every you know, all the goth clubs because I was a total like, you know, goth club goer. <laughs> that's who we wanted. And we were all really mad when it was like American, you yes. know, all American Tom Cruise. It's like, what do you mean it's not David Bowie? But that's you know? some really cool context, actually, because yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that. And also I didn't realize I had always known the narrative and I remember as a kid who like was really into movies, mm-hmm. I I remember the narrative of Anne Rice hates Tom Cruise as this role. Um, and Anne Rice says, sorry, he's mm-hmm. actually really good in this role. Yeah. I didn't realize exactly what you just said. All American tough guy yeah. is going to step into it like that. It was, that yeah, and it sense. was a book that was super beloved by the gay community. Right. And it was like, okay, can we get someone who's like, if not gay, then like gay friendly or cool in that way. And he was the all American dude. Totally. You know, his Top Gun was still his most famous movie Mm -hmm. in like Days of Thunder and Risky Business. It was like, we didn't expect acting yet from him. Mm -hmm. And so we were all really surprised and happily. I don't know that many people who are still, who were mad after that. Yeah. There were some people, but not really. It was more about the idea of him and you know, his whole personal, whatever, that's his business. Right, right, right. I don't care. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of the great vampire films, and I and I, I will champion it, you know. You know, like, I got really... <laughs> on, on Nerdist or on the, the Rachel Hine, and the, and the, but they did, like, the Alpha Book Club, yeah. and everybody read it. Yeah. And they were all, like, not there. I'm like, I'm writing you a letter. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to explain to you why this book is important to a certain community. And after they... And, and Rachel was sweet, and she read it on the air, and she was... Because she's the big fan. And yeah. everybody else was like, I don't get this. And I was like, this is why this is a milestone thing for a lot of people. Not just gay people, but people who feel different. Yeah. Like anyone who feels different and, you know, whatever their sexuality is or whatever, like there was this character who was like, it's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like be you. You know, even though it killed people. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> not that part, but everything yeah. else is real good. Yeah. Um, well, I love this uh, this overarching horror conversation. Yeah, me too. In genre this conversation. Is this is great. And thank you again for coming. No, you're very welcome. This. Great choices all around. Thank and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for me today. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Eric Diaz and that conversation about Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I hope you enjoyed the speculation and just, I don't know, honest fan chat that came along with all of that. And if you did, please be sure to tune in this Thursday on Patreon, patreon.com slash Clark Wolf, for more with my conversation with Eric. Um, In that episode, we are speculating and playing Fantasyland but I think it's really fun. And we're talking about re, um, sequels and reboots and and reimaginings and everything in between, especially the ones that were so popular in the 2000s and how to reboot an iconic slasher franchise. Um, I think it's a really great conversation and I think you'll enjoy it. So if that is going to be available to uh, $5 and higher monthly contributors on Patreon at patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. So if you're interested in checking that out, definitely head on over to the website. If not, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for uh, your support. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, friends from Denver, I say thank you for listening and I will see you Thursday. Bye. (laughs) 